welcome to what uh, we call Connect this year. It's a, <laughs> it's a little different format than we had originally planned, but it's always great to be together. So good to see your faces on the screen. Just good to see your smiles. Last week, I was in St. Cloud, where Connect will be next year in January, and uh, I toured the new, there's a new event center in town who we've signed a contract with, two new hotels, a Marriott and a Hilton on either side of it that we're working with, and uh, they are very nice. Uh, I'm already excited for next January, along with what we're going to hear today and more of more from Troy next uh, next January. Excited about uh, Connect in 22, but uh, we'll talk more about that later. I want to say thank you to Matt Reed for uh, setting this format up, uh, providing a, a, a format for us to gather. He always does a great job. And then we want to welcome and say thank you to Pastor Troy Jones, our 2022 Connect speaker. And uh, thanks, Troy, for taking time to be with us today out of your crazy busy schedule. Pastor Troy and I go back about 100 years. In, Almost 100 years. I think it's close. <laughs> just about when we served together as district youth directors. Wow. He, he is from a great district. It might be even be the second greatest district. You know, I, I don't know if it's that high or not, but it, it could be that high. And uh, the Northwest District is a very strong district. He pastors one of our fellowships, uh, Dynamic Growing Churches, New Life Church, multi-site church in Renton, Washington. And uh, Troy has always been a student of leadership. Uh, back in the early 2000s, he developed something called the Leadership Journey for student ministries across wow. the nation, and uh, we invited him to come to Minnesota and help us. He did. Spent three weekends here meeting with youth pastors and lead pastors and uh, other uh, people who are part of their uh, student ministry teams. Made a significant impact, and uh, he continues to study leadership. It's kind of fun to talk with him a little bit. Those of you that were on early, he's just uh, come out with a new book, Recalibrating Your Ministry During and After COVID-19. I'm sure he'll reference that. I know he's going to share some thoughts from that book for the next oh, 20, 25 minutes. And then we're going to open up for questions. So if you guys, ladies, have any questions that come to mind as he's talking, just jot them down. We'll make sure that we uh, take time for that before we close, but we're wanting to honor your time, be done in uh, 45 minutes or so. So, Troy, thank you once again for uh, coming to Minnesota via Zoom. Uh, look, look forward to when you come in the flesh, but uh, take it away here and uh, look forward to just hearing what you have from us. Yeah, Mark, so good to be here. I was telling my staff, hey, I'm walking in my office. I'm going to Minnesota right now. So I'm here with you guys. I wish I could be there in person, but um, I have found that you can really do a lot of good stuff through Zoom. So it's so good to be here. Mark, I honor you. Great leadership there in Minnesota. Um, excited, guys. Excited to be with you. We only have 25, 30 minutes and we'll do Q&A. Uh, man, and let's see if we can get kind of get some gold out there to help you recalibrate your church um, during and after COVID-19. <laughs> it's crazy. Let me just say this up front. Um, it's been an absolutely insane 12, last 12 months. I mean, I guess it's only been 10 months, but it seems like forever. Mm -hmm. And I and I get, um, boy, I don't even know how to say this emotionally. You feel exhausted. You feel tired. And now I'm going to tell you to dream again in a moment. But you feel tired, exhausted, 
uh, you know, we have pressure uh, coming our way so many different ways, everything from COVID to masks to politics to the racial tension. I mean, it's insane. I, I sat down and I journal a lot and I journaled five pages of everything that could have taken me out last year. Five pages. Then I decided I need to see a counselor. I mean, it's been insane. With that said, I believe with all my heart, it is perhaps the greatest opportunity we have in our lifetime to recalibrate the heart and the mission of the church. And I'm not trying to be positive when I say that because it has been, it, in many ways, it sucks. It's painful. I'm, I'm still preaching from an outdoor stage. <laughs> so I go out there outdoor and I'm trying to go, yay, Jesus is Lord. And, and you know, I'm going to the cars, at least they know how to beat their horn. So it's like, they know how to encourage, but it, it's crazy. But I do believe um, this is the greatest moment, greatest hour. And I, and I don't want us to miss it as a church. And so I'm hoping um, my time together here with you today that I'm starting actually a cohort that I'm going to do starting in um, a, about a month and a half. I'm going to invite you if you want to be a part of it. It really is how to relaunch your church, how to not only reopen it, but relaunch it um, as a result of all this. So let me say it again, I get the pain, but it is our greatest hour. And I think we need to really ask God to open up heaven and show us what does this mean uh, for the church. My big burden for you today in my few moments, I, I hope I can lift your arms. I hope I can't do it physically because I'm not there, but well, every one of you, a little hope, a little, let's lift our arms, let's lift our eyes and really believe that Jesus wants to do something incredible. One thing I want to say before I talk about the local church and where to go from here, I am biased towards the local church, the local Assembly of God church that's, that's in some kind of community, if it be um, a rural area, a city, community, I'm biased, and here's why. It was 40 years ago that a church sent a bus to my house from a broken family. And that church forced me on the bus. That church paid $55 to, Bible, to a Bible camp for me to go to. And as a broken, dysfunctional teenager, by the way, went to speech classes my entire elementary year, so uh, stuttering and feeling very insecure about life, having no concept of Christianity, that church threw me on a bus, made me go to a Sunday God Bible camp. And on a Monday night, you know, all those Bible camps we have seen, I was one of those kids on a Monday night, 1980. And I can't even explain to say I was born again was is an understatement. My life was transformed. I was born again by the power of a church. When I got up, my family became the local church. My family, literally, some of you may know missionary Alan Johnson. Um, he was the first Christian I've ever met. I mean, I get up from that altar, my life was transformed. And it was that church that raised me, taught me how to pray, taught me how to love Jesus. Um, I think about my family today. My oldest brother just got out of prison. My second brother's died because of drugs. One of my brothers live on the street because uh, lives on the street because of mental illness. If it wasn't for the church, I would be dead, divorced, in prison. I would not be who I am today. So I believe in the church, horribly biased. I think the hope of the world is that the church would be on mission. And um, so when I come to you today, I'm coming to you with that thing. We need to recalibrate because there's another kid out there that needs a church to get beyond COVID and, and present hope and present life. And so 
I'm biased. People say, are there other ways to reach the world? I guess there is. I believe the local church is the answer. And even though we're tired, exhausted, I think God wants to do some incredible, incredible things. So let me, let's jump in. I'm going to share some notes here. Um, maybe do some dialogue too. And as I start sharing, I'm about to find it. And of course, it's going to be a moment to find it. Where would that be? Uh, where, just a moment, guys. I can't seem to find my screen. It's at the bottom or at the top, maybe. Okay, there it is. Oh, great. great. Okay, share it. There we are. I got it. Here's the problem we have right here. The problem is you have to learn how to use a computer. Okay, ready? Here's the problem. Churches get stuck. Can you all see it? Yes, and yes. So the problem with the local church, I've been, and by the way, I'm I, I love talking about the established church. The church has been around for a while. Um, we get stuck. And by the way, this is not because necessarily a sin or spiritual problems or because you're a bad leader. The church I pastor, I've been here 17 years. All I have to do is blink and I start feeling like this guy. And you get stuck very easy and you don't know what to do. So that's your, that's the first problem. And I'm going to try to figure out how to navigate, how to do that. The second problem, still trying to figure out Zoom. There we are. Is we become deceptively healthy. In other words, it's not that we need to be revitalized. It's not like I'm barely alive. It's even a worse problem. I'm I'm alive, but I'm deceptively healthy. And I think the problem with most churches, like the 12,000, Mark, how many churches in Minnesota? I'll interpret that as about 200, 250. Sorry, 250. 250. The truth is, I don't even need to have a word from the God to understand that most of our churches are stuck. And they, they, they become stuck or deceptively healthy. And by deceptively healthy, you're paying your bills. People are showing up on Sunday with COVID-19. That's debatable, but you get it. Um, everything seems to be good. But the, at the gut of it, there's not energy. You're not discipling people. People really aren't praying. People really aren't being transformed. This is normal. When I, as I study church life, help pastors, us getting stuck or becoming deceptively healthy is absolutely a normal part of church life. It's not because, um, this may shock you, as much as I'm a leadership guy, the best leaders will lead organizations that become deceptively healthy or get stuck. It's not because the enemy is attacking us, even though I think we have a spiritual war that we need to fight. It is that this just happened. So the question I have spent the last 10 years of my life researching and studying and asking, what is the answer? If churches get stuck, if churches become deceptively healthy, and I've come up with the answer that it's going to seem so simple, but it, it, it's actually profound, is that the answer is, God, I forgot how to, is that um, the big idea is everything needs to recalibrate. The reason why churches get stuck is like your computer. They tell you to restart your computer every day. I don't, but that's what they tell you to do is shut it down and restart it. The fact is, is every church in America needs to recalibrate over and over and over or that church will get stuck. Um, think about it. You, you need to restart your computer often. Um, think about it from any perspective of life. You know, you need to give your car an alignment. Um, 
you need to, when I get on the scale and the scale gives me the wrong weight, I need to kick the scale so it says the right weight. Uh, it gets stuck and you need to recalibrate. And what we have not learned is we've kind of learned how to plant churches and we have even learned how to revitalize churches, but we haven't learned how to help a church recalibrate, how to start over, how to ignite that passion. And I'm convinced, let me say to all the pastors here, I think there's 30 or 40 online today. If I could teach you how to recalibrate on purpose, you won't need to revitalize one day. I want you to think about that. If I could teach you how to recalibrate, if I could show you how to do that, my passion for pastors, and, and again, I want to say it, I think COVID-19 is the greatest opportunity we have had in church history to recalibrate. But I think it needs to be more than just um, out of, um, of emergency. It needs to be a regular practice that we practice. So that's my, my that's my passion to help every pastor come to grips with it. Um, when it comes to recalibrate, the phrase of it, when I use it, the, the technical phrase when you recalibrate something is to reset its settings and, and specifications. But for the church, it means to restore or ignite the mission and heartbeat of the church back to the pastor and back to the congregation. That's what I mean when I say recalibrate. I just want pastors to get excited about Jesus again and get excited about the mission of God again. I want pastors to step up and go, we need to ignite the fire of God in our lives again. And so when you recalibrate something, um, for example, you know, if a ministry is not working, your children's ministry, don't just kind of make improvements, recalibrate it, or relaunch the thing. You got to focus long enough to restore the mission and heartbeat of the church. And so when I use that recalibrate, it's a general word to say, if you're stuck or deceptively healthy, let's recalibrate. Let's find out where the problem is and learn that. And I know you're having a ton of questions right now. I'll open up the Q&A in about five, 10 minutes, but I want you to get that. It's not because something went wrong. It's because everything's going right. Everything has to recalibrate. I slept, I went to bed last night. I woke up and recalibrated my body. Everything has to recalibrate. Now, for a second, I wanna take like three minutes here in my, in my cohorts and webinars. I'll take a lot longer, but just for three minutes, Think about this for a moment from a Bible perspective. Let me go to everybody. How many times did God recalibrate his people from Genesis or Revelation? Think about it. Over and over. I have people out the time goes like, are you sure? I mean, no, we need to like not change or we shouldn't recalibrate. And I go, think about it. Just read the Bible. Now let's do this. Just take the books of Acts alone. Think about in that in, in 28 chapters, how many times God recalibrated his church in the book of Acts. Give me a couple, let's do a couple of discussion here. A couple moments in the book of Acts where God recalibrated his people. Give me a couple moments. Anyone want to speak out? Well, at the Jerusalem Council. Yeah. You know, Mike, huge. <laughs> Think about what's going on there. The, the new people that were coming to church called Gentiles, um, they weren't circumcised. Think about that. And that circumcision was like a, a practice of the Jewish religion um, for thousands of years. And they recalibrated and they said, no, no longer do you have to be circumcised because we believe that Jesus is the only way. I mean, it's amazing what happened there. And yet I have churches go, well, we won't change. I'm going, wow, read the Bible. I mean, it's a...
that always an interesting passage there. I mean, can you imagine the pastor getting up and you're new to the church and haven't been circumcised and the pastor says there's a cutting edge ministry in the back? I mean, it is just not good. Uh, other places in the book of Acts. Antioch. Yeah. Daryl, Antioch changed the entire movement. We went from people the way to call Christians. And some of us can't recalibrate the name of our churches. <laughs> I mean, it's shocking. And yet we, we changed the whole entire name of the fellowship from the people of the way to Christians. And yet you still have pastors go, well, I'm not going to change. I go, wow, if you don't recalibrate, you will die. You will die. You got to recalibrate. And this is the opportunity. Any other moments in the book of Acts? Acts 6. Yeah. After a yeah. racial problem where food distribution wasn't happening. Yep. And what did they do? They raised up an entire deacon, the entire leadership structure. I mean, when you read the book of Acts and if we're people of the Bible, you have to go, wow, God recalibrates his people over and over and over. And he does it because he wants the people to get back on mission. He wants the people to um, be back to the heartbeat of God. And so it is huge from a theological perspective that if you don't learn how to recalibrate, your church will stagnate. Any other examples of recalibrating the book of Acts? Give me one more example. Pentecost. Yeah. Whoever said Pentecost, right there. It is the greatest moment where also now your young men, your old men will dream dreams and even men and even women can do ministry, by the way. Wow. That, that was recalibrating the church. The church changed. There was a restoring or a reigniting of the mission of God. So here's my overall big idea here. If you don't learn to recalibrate, and I say this of a pastor, I've been at my church, uh, probably the same church that picked me up on the bus. That's the church I pastor today. So I've been at this church for over 40 years. I've been the pastor for 17 years. If you don't learn to recalibrate your church, ultimately it will stagnate and die. And ultimately it will go from being deceptively healthy to barely alive. Now, a couple of things, I want to just share a couple more things and we'll talk about it. Um, from a recalibration pers perspective, you have to always do this. this is so big. I think this is where we miss it in the church. We need to do it from, as, from, the, from the father's heart, from the heart of God. I want us to think about the prodigal son story, Luke 15. The father there, he was able to reach the prodigal and care about the prodigal, but he also cared about the older brother. He also, think about the story. He, he, the older brother was all upset, but the father said, hey, let me pastor you. Let me honor you. And I think when it comes to leading your church and change, sometimes we do it as a... Um, we do it like, let me say it like this. Here's my new book. I just coming out in a couple months. We do it as an arsonist and not as an architect. We do it as an arsonist. And we just kind of are careless and we burn the church down instead of learning how to architect that change. And I'm telling you, if you're in this because I want to be a ruthless CEO and I want to, all the older people in my church don't matter, you really need to go find another job or like repent. I think that you can recalibrate the church, reach the reach the younger brother and pastor the older brother at the same time. You can do it. But you need 
practices I've developed in my new book called Seven Practices to Do That. And we're not going to have time to obviously go through all those practices, but it's so big that you learn how to be an architect and not an arsonist. Okay. Everyone got that? So you got to recalibrate your church. You got to do it with the father's heart, architect, not being an arsonist. Um, here is the main, one of the practices you need to learn. And I want, I want to really, as I think about what I want to share with you guys today, I want to lean in on this practice is that you need to learn to what I call trust the story. Trust the story of God at your church. Let me unpack this for a moment. Yesterday's values are embers for tomorrow's vision. Yesterday's values are embers for tomorrow's vision. What I mean by that, often pastors, we the story of your church, you think that's a bad thing. Well, we can never change because we've been around for 90 years. Okay, I want to flip that upside down. The answer to your church may not be found in the last 10 years, but my guess is found in the first 10 years of your church. I want you to think about this for a moment. When I studied the first 10, 15 years of the church I pastor, oh, it was filled with people that was willing to do all mission critical initiatives. Our story was filled with pastors that was willing to stretch and recalibrate. And I guarantee you, if you're pastoring the established church with 10, 15, 20, 50 years, find stories of how God's recalibrated that church and do it again. I think about the Brant sisters that started our church. Oh, they started because they wanted to bring, um, they wanted to reach children and bring people to Jesus. If I could just recalibrate that, I could, I could ignite something at my church. They open up in a, a storefront willing to be messy with a train going by. And as you think about that story, that's what you're looking for in your church. What's the new story you're going to write based upon the story that God's been writing? I think about, um, many of you know Rick Ross, uh, Derek's father, but he came here in 1989 and moved the church from Hardy Avenue to a brand new building way out here on Maple Valley Highway. It took faith people stretching, people believing God. And I'm telling you, when I'm coaching a pastor, I want to hear the story of your church. And I want to help you take that story and connect it to today. That if that's how God used our church in the past, let's trust the story that God wants to do it again. And I want to say this, if you ignore the story of your church, you're being an arsonist and not an architect. You're actually being a punk, and that's another issue. You got to learn how to see the story and go, okay, what did God do? And you're not trying to repeat the methods. You're trying to repeat the mission of the past. And I love helping pastors get this because you frame the future of your church, church in the story of your church. I'm telling you, all of a sudden, the older people that you think are irrelevant, they become your heroes. They become the people that champion on, but it all starts in the heart of the pastor. And so I have seven practices. This is a critical one to help a pastor get. That I think the answer to your church, truly, I think if we can ever recapture the passion that started our church, that will help us recalibrate it for the future. Um, this is a great quote I like from, from Peter Drucker. The job of the leader is to preserve the core 
yet stimulate progress at the same time. That's so big. And by the way, the reason we're not taught this a lot is most of the time when we um, are being taught by church leaders, most of them are people that have planted their own church. So we listen to people like Stanley Anley, Craig Cashel, or whoever it would be, and they're people that started their own church. Well, they don't realize if you take over an established church, there's a difference from taking from remodeling a historical house versus building a new home. Big difference. And I live, by the way, in a historical house that was built in 1896, and I've remodeled it. I get it. One of the differences there are low-bearing walls and non-low-bearing walls that you have to be aware of. But the job of the leader is to preserve the core yet stimulate progress at the same time. If you do one without the other, the organization will become dysfunctional. So the job of all of us right now is to figure out how can we stimulate progress, recalibrate the church, and preserve the core. You do it by trusting the story of your church and finding out how do I use that story, leverage it as a platform to move my church forward. And what you're looking for in your story, then I'll come back and take questions, is this. You're looking for what I call mission critical initiative, moments in your church that woke it up. You're looking for stories that um, somebody believed God to focus the church on an initiative. They didn't call it a mission a critical initiative, but a dream, a bold move. I think about our church um, back in 1935, the first senior pastor, his name was William McNutt, and they bought a piece of property that they couldn't afford as a church but they decided to build and he actually took a shovel and he built the first um, foundation for a brand new church on, on Williams Avenue. He was willing to have this initiative, what I call a mission critical initiative to move the church forward. I like the phrase mission critical initiative because mission means the heartbeat of the church. Critical means now. We gotta figure out that what's essential. We can't put off till later and it's an initiative, it's a moment or event that initiates change in your church. So what I try to help a church do, the way you be an architect and not arsonist is you gotta develop a mission critical initiative and lead your church through it. But you're literally trying to ignite passion, ignite the fire of God, ignite something in your church. And for new life, and I know it's different in Minnesota and every part of the country is different, we're looking to this fall, and we're calling it 9-21-21, we're, we're going to relaunch the church. And we are going to develop some key rally points and some key high-impact changes to move our church forward. I'll give you one more thought, then I'll take some questions here. Uh, when you do a mission-critical initiative, what you have to do is start on your knees and start with the Father's heart. You're trying to come up with what I call the bold idea for your church. Think of it like dominoes. One domino will take down another domino and take down another domino. You're trying to find the next domino of your church. Uh, what I love about dominoes is dominoes could take down another domino 50% larger than itself and another domino 50% larger than itself. 29 dominoes later could take down the Empire State Building. So momentum, pastor, if I'm coaching you, I'm helping you find the next domino of your church. What's that next bold move? that will cause you to pray again, that will cause your people to pray, that will cause you to believe God that the best is yet to come, that will get your people, like back when your church was started, ignited about the passion and mission of your church. And so lots of concepts there.
But the main thing is that you got to learn to recalibrate. And the way you recalibrate is leading your church to some really critical initiatives that will get your church praying and believing God again for the future. So, Mark, there's like nine hours of coaching and, <laughs> and of my court in like 30 minutes here. Did you want to do some Q&A? That would be great, uh, Troy. And as, as uh, people want to just uh, jump in, raise a hand or something, Troy will recognize you. Your names are on the screen there. There are questions, thoughts, responses to that. That'd be great. I'll, I'll jump in. Um, at the beginning, you talked about stuck churches and deceptively healthy churches. I think, you know, as the pastor or staff members, you can kind of feel that, but trying to get the congregation to realize they're stuck or deceptively healthy can be the next thing and so that they're motivated to go forward and recalibrate. Uh, talk a little bit about communicating to your congregation in a healthy way, in a life-giving way that we're kind of stuck, we're kind of, uh, you know, deceptively healthy, we got we to gotta recalibrate and go another yeah. direction. You know, Mike, it's interesting because I wouldn't probably never use those words with my church. Like, I'm not going to get there. Hey, we're all stuck unless I'm just kind of having some fun or whatever it would be. So that's the first part. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to figure out what's our next bold move. What's the next initiative? And I'm going to say to my church, um, let's rally behind that. Let's believe God, especially right now with COVID-19, um, that the best is yet to come. But I, then I give them something to rally behind. So I think the problem, if you give people something to rally behind, they will recalibrate naturally, especially if you're, if you're casting the vision in a clear way. So it's really critical. It's not like I get up there, hey, you're all stuck. And you, you know, it's really quite the opposite. Church, it's time for us to dream again. And, and, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to start this Sunday, but matter of fact, I'm going to begin the process. I'm going to say, in uh, 9-21-21, we're going to come together and relaunch our church. And when we relaunch our church, we're going to have a greater digital impact. And we're going to, um, and I have the rally points clearly defined. So I think what you do is you have to give your people something to wake up to. It's real critical. And this is why the, the, learning how to cast vision and some of the practices are so critical in, in the church. Does that, does that answer your question a little bit? Yeah, that's great. I, I love the way that you did that. It's, it's good, good stuff. Yeah. So I have to give, give me the name of your church, what you want to start. Again, it says that you're all dead. And you know, you get up there and go, you go, no, this is what God wants to do. Let's go. So the vision is what you're getting the rally behind. And you put that vision to an initiative. Again, it's, this is how you recalibrate people. You're trying to wake the church up. Once you learn it, you can do this over and over and keep your church on mission with you. Question. Um, yeah, I have a question. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, what are some signs that the church, it's time for the church to recap, uh, recap, oh, can we say that one right now? But uh, what, what are some of those signs? Obviously, we know, you know, the, the governor opening up the state again is, you know, probably a sign, right? But like, how do we, how do you, what are some of the common things you see? Um, and because it's like, sometimes when you're a smaller church, you got to balance between your, your lack of resources with, with your dreams, right. And, and what you want to do and what you want to change. And so there's almost like a balance in between. So can you, can you speak into that a little bit? 
No, absolutely. Victor, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, no. You know, there's signs. First of all, when the pastors, you don't like your church anymore. That's a good sign. <laughs> Honestly, um, when, when you're tired, when the people are just kind of stagnated and there's not a vibrancy at all, it, it just, you, there's signs you can start looking for them. Um, you're, you're trying to push programs that nobody wants to be at. Um, again, when you're, I always joke, but when my wife doesn't want to be here, it's a sure sign I need to recalibrate. If I couldn't invite a friend to my church, it's a time to recalibrate. And let me just say this. I, I love working with all size churches and working within your resources, even if it's limited resources. That's why you need to recalibrate so you can help your people dream and believe. And again, your moment, your MCI, your mission critical initiative it's going to be different than every other church here, but what is that that will wake your people up? If you have 50 people, let's wake them up. Let's get those 50 people believing God for greater things. This is so critical, and this is why I love, um, I'm going to talk to you about a cohort if you want to join it, but you just got to really give those 50 people something to dream about. By the way, my wife is from a very small church, um, and I think that church has had more greater kingdom impact than maybe many of our bigger churches. They have done amazing things for the kingdom of God. But so that's why I would say, Victor, look for those signs. Um, if you're bored and you are always fighting, good sign. My biggest sign for me is if I can't invite someone to my church. There's so many cringe factors going on. Ooh, ah, I don't want to invite anyone to my church. A big sign. And again, the only way to solve that i'll walk i can walk you through the seven practices but ultimately you got to develop this initiative to give people something to be excited about so it's even more than vision sometimes we have vision but if it's not put with a uh if it if it's not clearly becomes an initiative it's just a bunch of talk very good question victor any other questions out there i mean there's just so much here uh, do you all understand the domino effect? Do you understand what I mean when I use that metaphor? The brilliance of a leader, let me tell you what a leader is always doing. You're always looking for the next domino. That's what you're looking for. So if I'm coaching you, Mike, what's the next domino at your church? I'll help you discover that. There's ways to discover it. There's assessment. There's tools. But all, bottom line, I believe God's put you at your church. I'll take Mike here just because I can see him. And that domino is somewhere there, but I could just ask you a couple of questions. If I can get you talking and feeling safe, usually that domino will come out. If I can find that, then give it some structure, we can begin to ignite a fire in your church. Um, should we always uh, look to recalibrate or is there such thing as recalibration burnout do we recalibrate for just for the sake of recalibrating um you said there's always that domino so obviously we should always be looking for it but uh, is there the need to recalibrate just for the sake of finding something so that that broke up a little bit um But the question is, do you always need to recalibrate? Let me try to answer that. First of all, sometimes, and maybe more often than not, you just need to recalibrate yourself and not the entire church. 
and and so you're you're you need it so it's not your it's not like you're boom 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 but you you do need there are times where you just need to get yourself healthy and i've gone through a couple of phases in my life where i just literally need to make sure i'm healthy before i can lead my church in a, in a, a mission critical initiative you know i'm a church planner i'm one of those guys who who gets uh from start from scratch so recalibration i feel like i do that every six months we're recalibrating to some degree uh simply because things change so often in my in my world uh help me and help us understand when you talk about recalibration sometimes it can feel like oh well, i gotta go bulldoze this thing i gotta go torch this thing and you kind of alluded to the arsonist piece talk to us about pacing and recalibrating in healthy ways. And I think what you, what I got when I heard about the domino thing is you're talking about like a, a, an incremental shift that over time equals bigger, but, but help me understand your view of that. Or are you saying like, there are just some times where you go in with a bulldozer and do it quick and do it fast. Talk to me about timing, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. Unfortunately, our connection is not the best. So I apologize for that. Can everyone hear me though? Yeah, I could hear you fine. Okay. Yeah, and timing. Here's the deal. Uh, there, there's a you need to learn to what I call triage change, triage change in your church. And there, there are things that are um, high impact and low impact. So no, I don't believe you come in with a bulldozer and just boom and kind of slam everything ground. What you need to do is figure out. You need to think like an architect. What are the things that can change to create good momentum right now? And so. On the big, now you said you're a church planner, so it's a little bit different, but for an established church, what I believe for an established church, it's probably every three to five years. So there's the timing thing. You need this major relaunch. You need this moment where the church wakes up again. You could do some things annually for sure, but you need this major relaunch, this major mission critical initiative that will wake that church up every three to five years. Can you give us some examples of some initiatives that you've done in Renton and just kind of uh, give us examples of how God spoke to you and then how you made that event happen and kind of give the guys an idea of what it looks like from your own personal expect, uh, experience. Yeah, so um, I will get to Mark, like literally some examples from four or five churches, Mark. I can give you the resources where churches write this down and how they do it. So that's the first thing. Um, let me say when it comes to a major kind of a relaunch mission critical initiative, I've been the pastor for 17 years. I have done this four times and now working on my fifth. Okay, so remember that it's, a, it's critical. The first time just happened when I became the pastor. It happened kind of on accident. You know, just, I became the pastor and I leveraged that moment to create newness to the church. But the big one, I could send this to Mark. It's called, we called it um, 21212. Um, February 12, 2012, where we launched a brand new Saturday night service. We launched our deacon with these rally points that um, we redid our branding. It was these rally points that ignited the passion of the church. And so that was the big one. And um, I could send you the, um, what I call the relaunch plan and you can look at it. And also it'll be in my new book too. Let me just encourage you, if you're interested in doing a cohort, and that's a, it's a, it's a, it's three sessions, three hours a piece. So it's nine hours of really walking a church through how to do this. 
At this cohort, I will help you develop your uh, MCI plan, your relaunch plan, and I will help you develop what I call a strategy booklet. And your strategy booklet is where you can put your mission, your vision, your values. So if you're interested, email me at drtroyatrecalibrategroup.com and I'll get that to you. I'd love to have you involved with it. Here are the dates. It would be just a great cohort that you could be involved. It's done by Zoom. And so very easy. And hopefully we have better connection than we have today. Mark, thank you. The connection is a little bit rough, but here, we, hopefully we got the passion out there. Absolutely. Troy will be with us, as we said earlier, January of 22. And uh, some of you want to jump in on the cohorts that he has going. Lots of uh, great stuff. Troy, thanks again for taking thank time. Thanks for being a student and uh, passing along what you've learned. Absolutely. Blessings on you, Mark. We'll see you soon, guys. Blessings on all of you. Thanks, Troy.